I'm Adam German with Housing Japan, welcoming you to this audio recording of Jesper Kohl on Central Tokyo Residential Real Estate. Recorded on July 4th, 2017 at the Tokyo American Club, this presentation delves deep into Jesper's wisdom to discuss his views on residential real estate in the city and where it is going from here. This is truly an insight that is found absolutely nowhere else. A reminder, if you're looking to lease, buy, sell, or have property to be managed, then Housing Japan is here to help. With world-class services in English, Japanese, and Chinese, we are only a phone call or email away. And now, Jesper Cole on Tokyo Residential Real Estate. Please enjoy. Good evening, Konbanwa. Uh, welcome to Tokyo. It's the only city in Asia with clean air, no traffic jams, and a banker who will lend you 90% loan to value. So from a real estate perspective, what's not to like? Now, I'm a macro guy. Real estate is very specific. Location, 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 plus the management of the real estate is obviously very important to get a real rate of return. So I want to focus on a little bit what I know best, which is the macro overview. And you know, when you commit to Fudosan, when you commit to real estate, you're obviously dealing with a long, longer term asset. This is not something that you buy and sell on a whim. This is something that, you know, uh, that, that has a longer duration. So the key questions I want to address today with this talk is basically focus on number one, is there demand? Because people always say, oh, yes, Burr, how dare you be bullish on a country where in 300 years only 18 people are going to be left? I mean, it's this whole demographic issue. So I want to help to demystify and actually show that Japan is in a demographic sweet spot. The other element for real estate investment is interest rates. Right now, interest rates are close to zero. In fact, you can get a 10-year fixed rate mortgage for about 80 basis points or 1%. But what if interest rates start to go up? That obviously would have negative implications. And what I want to show with this talk is that indeed the probability, the likelihood of interest rates in Japan going up very quickly is very, very low. In fact, in my personal opinion, I think the Bank of Japan will maintain zero interest rates for at least an additional two years from here on forward. So you have to think anyway, so you might as well think big. There's a lot of things that are happening in the macro economy. I mean, just a couple of hours ago, somebody shot a missile, right? Um, a couple of hours before that, somebody launched a Twitter and, you know, oh my God, there's all so much noise. And as you know, the older we get, the less we want to deal with noise. But it is important to look at the macro, to look at the big picture, to actually select the investments, um, you know, that you think are worthwhile. And let's look, have a very big picture, look at the world economy. And this looks at the income for the entire world economy. So there is here, you know, people with only $100 of annual income, all the way up to people over $100,000 of income. And you see the blue line was 1985, the red line 2015. And what do you see is that, yes, there has been growth, you see that the curve has shifted out, so actually the world in general is actually a better place. If you then look a little bit more detailed and you see, you know, where is the distribution of income, you look at the distribution of income here, the bottom 5% all the way up to the top 5%, you get this what economists call the elephant chart. I mean, it looks a little bit like an elephant, but you also see that growth on average across the world was about 25, uh, was around 25%. So that's again, that's very good. The problem is 
that if you exclude China from this overall growth, the world economy grew by only 11%. That's not to say that China did a bad thing. I mean, thank God China was growing so fast that obviously had some positive pull on all the other economies, including Japan. You know, but the reality is that without China, there was you know, only 11% growth. And what's more worrying, you see that actually no growth for the middle class. Because you see that from the 50th percentile all the way to the 95th percentile, average incomes actually declined. This is very important. Right? The income distribution you know, has hurt the middle class, and you've obviously heard a lot about that. I don't want to talk too much about politics, but why do we have Brexit? Why do we have Donald Trump? Why is there all this unpredictability? Basically because the middle class is poorer today than it was 20 years ago, 10 years ago, and that's forcing all this political uncertainty you know, that we've got going through here. A question, who is the most responsible of these people? Anyway, I'll leave that for up to you. I mean, maybe it is Super Mario. Um, you know, we shall see. Now, when you think about an economy, and when you think about the relationship between an economy and the real estate market, it's not just economic growth that matters. Yes, of course, for your investment, you want to know what is the capital appreciation, but the overall system has a lot more issues that it needs to balance. Freedom, equity, efficiency, security, as well as, yes, overall economic growth. And I want to point out to you that Japan is the most stable place that you can actually invest in. Couple of things here. When you look at the wealth that has been created, we basically had the Great War, the Second World War, which basically reset the clock. Everybody started in one way, form, shape, or another at a lower level. Now we are three generations later. How much net financial worth is there across the world? And it's shocking to see how poor America is. If you look at, if you exclude the student debt, if you exclude the car loans, if you exclude the mortgage and credit card debt, you find that the median uh, financial wealth net of liabilities is only $50,000. And you also find in Japan, basically it's a pretty good outcome. You've got twice the net assets that you have in the United States. By the way, it's stunning, one of the most successful economies in the world is Australia. Very rich in absolute terms, and also a distribution of wealth that is quite even. You look at America, it's scary to think that almost one in three Americans does not have net financial assets in excess of $10,000. In Japan, yes, there are poor people, of course there are, right? But you see that the overall distribution you know, is really quite equitable. The other thing is demographics. I mean, it's nice to see when you look at the median age in the world, the oldest country, as it were, is Monaco. Now, are you worried about Monaco? No, you're not worried about Monaco, because everybody's old and very rich. I will show you later that Japan is old and extremely rich. I mean, in my business, people say, what's the difference between Japan and China? The Japanese got rich before they got old. The Chinese never got rich. But you know, I leave that you know, for something else. We'll get to that later. But the point is the following. If you look at the population over 65, yes, in Japan now, one in four people is over 65. By 2030, one in three people will be over 65. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it slows things down. Are you aware of this? How many of you have been to Hong Kong or Shanghai lately? Show of hands. Okay, 
What have you noticed? You go from Haneda or you go from Narita, you go on the walkway on the escalator and then you get out in Hong Kong or in Shanghai and the speed of the escalator is about 30% faster. In fact, in Japan, four years ago, there was a change, there was a regulatory ordinance that the speed of all public escalators needs to be slowed down by 20%. You get old, it becomes a dangerous machine. I use that as an analogy for the economy. Of course, as you get older, you don't run as fast anymore. It's natural that the economic growth rate is not as high as it is for a young economy. But therefore, there is no purchasing power. Therefore, there is no upside for real estate or other assets. It's absolute nonsense. The other thing that happens, bad inflation. I mean, in Japan, there's always been this big discussion. Oh my god, you've got deflation. OK, let me ask you something. What are you, Apple or Galaxy? Apple. You're Apple. What do you got? <laughs> oh, that's good, you're like, he's a nostalgic man. Yeah, you, you listen to vinyl, right? <laughs> there you go, it's coming back. It's coming back, you know? No, but in all seriousness, the following point, you know, they just launched a new series of iPads, right? And the new iPad is basically 30% more powerful, right? But 10% cheaper than the previous model. Is that bad deflation? No. That's called progress, right? Things got better, which is fantastic, right? The interesting thing is, in Japan, there is no bad inflation. This is the cost of medical services. And apologies to the Americans in the room, it's just America makes an easy target at the moment, right? Sorry, I'm German. <laughs> um, you know, but you do have this thing, in America, the cost of medical services doubles every seven years. I think even Donald Trump's income does not double every seven years, right? So the purchasing power of the average person is being reduced. In contrast, in Japan, the purchasing power is actually being preserved. I often get asked, oh my god, Japan, what about structural reform, right? And structural reform is one of these great things it's like when you and I are having a drink and we're getting bored with each other, oh, let's talk about structural reform. Yes, there should be more structural reform. Yes, I agree with that. Good. And blue sky, motherhood, and free education. You know, doesn't, what does that actually mean? Prime Minister Abe, uh, six months ago, called into his office the representatives of the major pharmaceutical companies and says, good morning. It's very nice to see you. Next year, you're cutting prices by 3%. Thank you. See you next year. That's the use of power. That is positive structural reform because it frees up purchasing power for the people at large. And that's very, very important because, again, you invest in a country, you invest in a city. If there is a lot of price appreciation in other areas, then the ability to invest the ability to spend on real estate obviously goes down. Family values, I'm sorry, I love this chart, right? And I apologize again, it's a lot of data. You know, where do people actually spend their money? If you're a normal family and you've got children uh, in there who are, you know, teenagers before college, in the United States of America, 33% goes on housing, 17% goes on transportation. So please think about that. What does that mean? It means that half of your money goes to the place that you live and to get you to the place where you work. It's incredible, right? Against that, supplementary education is only 2% of spending. Now, maybe that's because America has such a fantastic public education system. Haha, <laughs> sorry. No. You know, anyway, you get the point here, right, in terms of public policy and what that means from an economist perspective, this is important because is Japan investing into the future? Education is definitely one of the, one of the things that, you know, produces skills 
that produces human capital that will actually have the ability to have higher earning jobs going forward. And I think from that perspective, again, Japan is actually in a very good position. And then last but not least, and now we're going to start to go into what makes Japan interesting right now. Why Tokyo real estate is very interesting at this particular point in time, because Japan's and Tokyo's economic metabolism is actually picking up. This is the participation rate. So what does that do of the people between 16 and, what is it, 15 to 65, what percentage is currently employed or is actively looking to be employed, is looking for a job, right? And you see that in Japan, this has started to inflect up positively. That means that there is more people who are engaging in the national economy, more people who are engaging to earn incomes. The participation rate in Japan is increasing. Japan is the only G7 country where the participation rate is increasing right now. And that again, if more people participate in the economy, that does mean that the underlying demand for real estate, the underlying demand for property, is actually starting to improve. This is very, very important. There's a lot of slack, by the way, that can still happen. The participation rate is now about 78%. In many Scandinavian countries, the participation rate is uh, 85%, 90%. So there's a lot of buffer that's coming through. And what it means for you, again, the increasing metabolism, the increasing use of human resources in the economy that creates purchasing power, that creates demand for real estate going forward. Now, what's the reality? What's the reality of Japan? How many of you think that Japan is out of deflation? Show of hands. Has deflation ended in Japan? What do you think? No. Why do you say that? The CPI, okay. So if the oil price falls, as it did, from $80 to $40, is that, that reduces the gasoline price, right? Is that good or bad for Japan? No, if you are a consumer, it's a phenomenal thing because the price of gas just got down. It's a windfall profit, right? Japan doesn't produce any energy, right? If you're an oil producer, you've got a problem, right? But for Japan, it's a cut. It affects the it, but, okay, so that's a basket of goods and services. Prices can fall because there's technological progress, which is great, right? So I think the issue is not the consumer price index. We can debate this, what ad nauseum. Where Japan was in deflation, where Japan's big problem came from is the fact that workers' compensation, so income for Mr. and Mrs. Watanabe, structurally peaked in 1996 and then basically declined by for about 20 years. Japan is the only country where nominal wages, nominal incomes, the nominal purchasing power actually went down. That was the deflation issue that you have. It's like you and I running a company. If our sales are going down, we have a problem, right? In Japan, we had this deflationary drag, and as a result of that, yes, thank you, there was no purchasing power. There was reduced purchasing power. The interesting thing is, as you can see there, now, over the last three or four years, over the last, actually, over the last three years, slowly but surely, nominal incomes, nominal wages are actually increasing. They're not increasing by 6 7%. This is not India. This is not a V-shaped recovery. But in my opinion, deflation has ended because wages are now actually growing. And the interesting thing is, this is structural, not uh, this is structural, 
not cyclical. Another way, as an economist, deflation ended, not ended. This looks at bank credit, right? So if there's growing credit, you've got, you know, re-leveraging, you've got growing demand. And it's interesting, in Japan, interest rates have been declining for many decades, right? Despite interest rates coming down, the demand to borrow money did not increase. A balance sheet recession, you try to get rid of your debt, right? Now, what is interesting, actually, since 2013, 2014, loan volume, for the first time in one generation, is actually increasing. So again, as an economist, end of deflation, yes, because there is rising incomes, and at the same time, there's actually re-leveraging going through. And what is interesting is that this demand, where is the demand for loans actually coming from? It is predominantly mortgages. So you've got a housing cycle that is starting to kick in. It's very interesting. It's not Mitsubishi. Is there somebody here from Mitsubishi? No. It's not the corporate sector. It's not Toyota that is borrowing money. It is the Japanese people, which is because wages are increasing. Now, I said that this was structural. Why is this structural? I mean, this is the reality, right? The population is going down. What happens as a result? You know, currently, right now, the population of Japan, every hour, the population of Japan declines by 52 people, right? This accelerates, you know, at some point between 25 and 65, it'll be 100. Oh my God, how can you be bullish on Japan? Japan is in a demographic sweet spot. It is exactly because the population is declining that the purchasing power of the people is increasing. I want to be reborn as a 23-year-old Japanese because my value is going up, trust me. Not my value, but the value of the 23-year-old, right? Now, to be a bit more specific, and this is very important for the Tokyo real estate market, because where is the demand actually going to be coming from, right? You've had a big change in labor laws in 1995 under Prime Minister Hashimoto. That allowed part-time employment across all sectors and all industries. So as a result of that, the salaryman got destroyed. Lifetime employment got destroyed. And you see that today, basically 40% of the people who earn a living, who are employed, 40% are part-time employees. Hakken, part-time, arbeito, you know, it's typically in Japan, there's all sorts of definitions about the whole thing, but basically they're not lifetime employment. Lifetime employment basically declined, right, to offset that, right? What is now happening because of the demographics, because the number of high school and university graduates is going down, as a result of that, more and more companies are hiring people on a full-time basis. You've got Hitachi Corporation, you've got Toyota Corporation, you've got fast retailing, rehiring part-time employees on a full-time basis. And that creates a new middle class. So I'm very bullish on the outlook for particularly Tokyo real estate because of the demand, precisely because of the demographics that is happening, because you do have a new middle class that is being created. This looks at full-time employment. You see that after 20 years of decline, over the last 24 months, this has steadily started to accelerate. For the first time in one generation, there is full-time job creation. Question, what's the difference between a part-time worker and a full-time worker? 
access to the mortgage. Your company's banks are very lazy. If you're a part-time worker, I would have to think about what your creditworthiness is. This is too Mendoxai. If you're a full-time employee, all of a sudden you get access to a mortgage. Why? Because the mortgage repayment is done out of the bonus. And the bonus a part-time worker has no access to, a full-time worker has access to. So it's very important. You've got your increase in the job security, right? You've got access to credit. Your average annual income actually increases by about 50%. Your benefits increase as well. So the new middle class, having greater job security and having access to credit, that's where the virtuous cycle in the Japanese economy is coming from. It's very interesting. You know, average wages, average income today are rising at a rate of around 1.5%. And you say, oh my God, that's not a lot, right? Well, first of all, it's the first time in 20 years that average wages are rising. But more importantly, university graduates starting salary this year increased by, on average, almost 5.5%. This is very interesting. So you've got demand and supply coming through. So don't be fooled by the demographic debate. Oh my god, they're dying out. No, Japan is in a demographic sweet spot. And you can see the population, thank you, is going down. But employment is actually rising. And there's a lot of buffer right, to actually increase the participation rate further. And as a result of that, the purchasing power, the demand for excuse me, residential property, I think has a very, very <clears throat> solid underpinning in the Japanese system. Is there a bubble? Absolutely not. If you look at workers' compensation in red, and you look at housing starts in Tokyo, right, what do you see is that for the first time, there's actually a positive gap. In the past, for example, you know, in 2000, during the Koizumi period, there was overbuilding. The developers were way too optimistic, right? So there was excess supply created. Now, developers have been actually very, very restrained on the supply side. Incomes and purchasing power is going up. Supply is relatively limited. As a result of that, I think the cycle actually looks quite encouraging. By the way, you can look at this in another way if you're an economist. If you look at residential investment as a percentage of workers' compensation, so as a percentage of income, relative to the historic level, Japan is still very, very comfortably low. Very important you know, to keep that in mind. That's me. It shows you what a Japanese diet does, right? If you do 30 years. No, that's, of course, Konishiki, right? That's the son of a friend of mine. Um, the use dynamics. Again, just to give you a little bit more background on this, how demand and supply works. Yes, the number of kids between, sorry, kids, that's the, the number of young adults between 25 and 35 is going down by a quarter of a million people. As a result of that, you've got this wonderful chart. I don't know, many of you probably have children, right? You do want to be reborn as a 23-year-old Japanese because this year, Basically, 98% of all the kids who graduated from university got a full-time job offer within 10 days of looking for one, right? It's quite spectacular. I don't think that that's the case you know, anywhere else in the world here. Very important, and this is you know, very relevant here, that, of course, the additional growth in the market segmentation is that womenomics is for real. There is a scarcity. As a result of that, you've got very deep-rooted structural change in the overall economy, in the way companies employ their human assets. And it's quite spectacular. If you look at the wage gap between women versus men, you see that, you know, basically at the, <clears throat> excuse me, what you, what you basically see is that, you know, yes, between two million yen and four million yen, right? That's the bulk of the money that the women make. But the moment it gets to the higher level, it goes down because basically Japanese females are not empowered to rise into the higher income, to rise into more executive and senior positions within their company. 
This is now changing. So as a result of that, the purchasing power of half of the Japanese population, of the Japanese female, also has a very, very good underpinning. And I think it again, you know, particularly for the Tokyo area, this makes for a very, very interesting story. If you're old, join the club. I mean, you know, after 32 years in Japan, a big reason why I still love being here is because everybody else gets older faster than I do. Right? It's also important. No, but the point being, there's obviously this demographics here, right? The older are increasing. Now, the good news is that the older are very, very rich. This is the richest baby boom generation on earth. The baby boom generation entered the workforce in the early 1980s. They got married and took out a mortgage during the bubble years. The bubble collapsed. They saw a destruction of their home equity, but they never got fired and they never got foreclosed. So 25 years of paying back your mortgage into a negative equity, it felt bad. It felt terrible. Now, those mortgages are repaid. My favorite statistics on Japan, 45% of all Japanese over the age of 20 have zero debt, but own the home that they live in. And it's predominantly the older generation. So it's quite spectacular. So the old generation, if you look at who owns the assets, you know, Japan has a lot of net financial assets, but basically 70% is owned by people over the age of 60. Now they are retiring, which means what? They have free time. When you have free time, all of a sudden you can spend. So people talk a lot about travel. Have you looked at the travel statistics? Oh, it's all those Chinese. The Chinese. Foreign travel, yes, it looks very exciting, and we are foreigners, or many of us are foreigners. This looks very, very exciting, certainly a big change in the landscape. But much more interesting is the fact that domestic travel, right, is approaching new record high levels. And it's exactly because Ojichan and Obachan are rich, they're now going for Hatsutabi, right, with their Magochan right, <laughs> going forward. But again, I just wanted to stress out what's very important here. You've got a match made in heaven between the old generation that is demanding services and has the financial wherewithal, and you've got the young generation that is in short supply, so their wages, their incomes, their job security is actually going to be improving. So I think that that's very, very important, you know, actually going forward. Finally, by the way, one thing I often get asked about immigration. I always say the Japanese are extremely smart because they don't talk about this, right? Why would you want to talk about something that is socially divisive? And by the way, immigration is a terribly complicated issue. There is no model that works, right? I mean, look at America, look at Australia. This is complicated stuff. But not talking does not mean not doing. If you look at the data, and we had a national census, as we do every five years, you see there that basically in all of Japan, right, of the working age population, already it's 2.8%. If you look at Tokyo, right, if you look at the inside the Yamanote area, five years ago, the number of people who received the paycheck, working age people, who were non-Japanese, was 3.1%. Today, it is 6.4%. And you can see in many of the wards, right, that actually the numbers are double digit now going forward. It's very pragmatic. One in three people who gets hired by Lawson or 7i is now a non-Japanese. I just want to make this very clear that, you know, again, the public or the, the media perception, oh my God, immigration, the Japanese don't do anything. Not true. The Japanese are very pragmatic. By the way, how do they do that? So when I got shipped to Japan in 1985 by Johns Hopkins University, on my student visa, I was allowed to work for 12 hours a week. Today, if you come on a student visa, you're allowed to work for basically 38 hours a week. 
which is three hours more than a Frenchman works anyways. <laughs> you know, anyway, you, you see why I, well, you can have a lot of fun talking about macro. There's always a story, there's a perception, and then there's some facts, right? And it's quite interesting to actually see, you know, how this actually goes through. One other thing I think is quite interesting, and it's important again for real estate. You look at, you know, the demographics, fine, if you buy my argument, demand, supply, now there is going to be a shortage of people, a shortage of skill, as a result of that wages, income, job security is improving, that's good for real estate, for fundamental residential property, for housing demand, particularly in Tokyo where everybody wants to live, right? And the other thing is what about economic growth? What about the overall thing? Is Japan growing? Where does economic growth come from? No, sorry, I don't mean to ask so many rhetorical questions, right? But oh, you know, we know that it's not coming from the central bank. When there's all this printing of money that's been going on, right? And I've just used Japan as an example. And by the way, this is true for Europe. This is true for the United States. It's the same thing here. In 1996, one yen from the Bank of Japan created 12 yen of GDP. Today, one yen creates only 1.2 yen of GDP, right? So just printing money does not create economic growth. What does create economic growth is entrepreneurship, is people setting up new companies. And this is across the countries, across regions, you can draw very, very close correlations there. If you look at the growth rate of the economy and the ratio of entrepreneurs in the population, that is where economic growth is gonna come from. The country at the very top there, that's Israel. Israel is, you know, one of the most interesting economies, very entrepreneurial. If you're not entrepreneurial, you're gonna die. America obviously is doing a good job. Japan is kind of so-so, mannaka no nippon, right? So if you are asking me, fine, we got this population dynamics that's positive for real estate. How do I get growth and more wealth creation overall? The question is, what is Prime Minister Abe, what is Tokyo Governor Koike doing to create more entrepreneurship? And that's very interesting, right? I don't have a straight answer. Right? You do see, if you look at where do, where do jobs get created, it's not old companies, right? Companies that are older than 10 years are net destroyers of jobs. And this, by the way, is true across the world. It's true in Germany, it's true in the United States. So the focus on the special economic zone, the toku, right? particularly for Tokyo, is very important. Why am I saying this? We just had an election on Sunday, and Governor Koike basically won a historic victory, and she is very pro-deregulation, pro-empowerment. Prime Minister Abe used to be very much in favor of this, but basically has slowed down. You haven't heard very much of the progress on the special economic zones. And I think particularly for Tokyo, with Yuriko Koike being a very pro-business, pro-entrepreneurship governor, I think that you will see more aggressive deregulation that will attract entrepreneurs into the Tokyo metropolitan area. So the bonus that Tokyo has, Tokyo has natural migration. The population of Tokyo grows give or take around 1% every year, which by the way is faster than the growth rate of the population in Manhattan, right? So there's this natural pull into Tokyo. I think with deregulation making the center of Tokyo, the inner wards of Tokyo more attractive, I think you will see um, you know, further uh, uh, demand actually starting to come through um, in terms of purchasing power, in terms of people who've got uh, needs, uh, <coughs> excuse me, people who've got need for, for residential property. And uh, again, I think that that underscores um, you know, the, the value. 
the country as a whole? Is Japan competitive? This country is super competitive, unbelievably competitive. Name an industry where Japan is not top global, uh, top two or top three in the world. You'll be very, huh? Oil. Oil. <laughs> right. We, that's true for Germany too, by the way. <laughs> right? I don't, we didn't get the North Sea oil, right? That was the Dutch, right? No, yeah, fair point. There's no natural resources, you know, that you actually have, you know, and the fish are dying out, right? But on the industrial side, in terms of, you know, the richness of the intellectual property base, you look at research and development spending, it's about 3.5% of GDP, one of the highest in the world. 80% of the research in R&D, uh, the, the R&D here is done by private companies. In the US, about half is actually done by the government, right? Which is quite interesting. So, you know, you've got a richness. Now, I would be the first to admit that Japan has this marketing problem, right? I mean, you know Tesla, right? Tesla, that's cool. I want to have that battery hanging in my living room. Well, maybe not, but I mean, in the, in the basement, right? Now, it's the same thing as this gray box by Panasonic. Tesla, which has just overtaken Ford as a car company in terms of the market valuation, Tesla does not exist without Panasonic. Now, why Japanese did not do the marketing, it's a different story, right? But the richness, the value, is absolutely there. The intellectual property creation is, uh, is very, very strong. And you can see, if you look at patents outstanding, you know, of course, China is catching up, you know, but still, you know, the, the base in Japan is actually very strong. So there's all this regulatory, there's all this change going on. The world's getting more confusing. I personally, when I found this, I love this statistics that, you know, the radio, when it was developed, it took 38 years for the radio to reach 50,000 users, uh, 50, not 50,000, sorry, 50 million users, right? Um, you know, for, now, for Snapchat, how much was it? For Snapchat, it was probably about six months or something like that. So the world's speeding up, or it looks as though it's speeding up, right? Um, so where do, where do we end up? Which is very important. Do we end up like this? So can I take off my jacket? Okay, so this is the second favorite woman in Japan after my, after my wife, okay? And now I'm gonna explain the Japanese economic model, right, by using this woman. Who is this? This is the Shinkansen girl. She is awesome, right? So every 20 minutes, the doors go open, she comes in, she bows, right? She wears this uniform. The uniform changes with the seasons. Right? Every, you know, every season, the uniform changes. She has a smile. She goes to the Shinenkai, she goes to the Bonenkai. Right? She pushes her trolley with a smile. Right? She stops. I want to buy a Coke. How much is the Coke? The Coke is Hyakugojuen. The Coke is the same price as it is in the Jido Hanbaiki in a vending machine in Tokyo. This is impossible from a business perspective. There is no way that she can earn a return. Her job is not to earn a return. Her company is not in business to make money. Her company is a co-geisha of JR, of Japan Rail, whose sole purpose of existence is to be omotenashi, right? It is a tax on capital for JR because they have to support an unprofitable company. It's a redistribution of income to her as an employee and to me as a customer. It's a very clever way of taxing capital. In Germany, where I'm from, we've got trains that are just as good, better, huh. <laughs> you know, but it's a problem, right? I mean, if you're lucky, if you're lucky, there's a guy who's going to show up and he will wear a headset, and he will be listening to some hip-hop music. I stop him, and he goes, what the hell you want? You know? And the price of Coke is four times what it is at the vending machine. Anyway, you get the picture, right? Why do I make this point? Again, social stability, right, does come at a premium here. It is paid for not by you, the consumer, 
Your purchasing power is being guaranteed, but it is paid for by the owners of Japan Rail, who run this inefficient company from an economic perspective, but in overall societal terms, I think it is very efficient. Finally, do you know these girls? So this is my third and fourth most favorite woman in Japan, right? So, you know, so I've got this office in, uh, where are we? The Shinmaru building, right? So right in front of Tokyo Station, right? You know the Shinmaru Nochi building? Right there, you know, proper big building right in front of Tokyo Station. You will have noticed that all the commercial buildings that are going up in central Tokyo have a version of this, right? There is this information booth on the ground floor, staffed always by two people. Their uniform changes with the season. They do have a bonenkai, right? They are part of the team, right? But what's interesting, if you go up to these and you bow and you say, excuse me, Tokyo Eki wa doko desu ka? You know what they do? They bow, they take out their iPad, they type into Google Maps, Tokyo Eki, and then they show you the map. Left one is kind of grumpy. The right one, I was able to have to invite to a glass of wine, right? <laughs> so we go to this glass of wine and say, well, how does this happen? You know, what's going on, yada, yada, yada. Anything inside the building, we have a test every three months. We must know everything. If you ask, is there a shoe shop on the fifth floor? I know exactly where it is. No Google Maps, no nothing, right? She knows everything. They have a test every three months, right? But by rule, everything outside the building, bow and input into Google Maps. Why am I using this example? There's a lot of room to increase efficiency, right, <laughs> going forward. I mean, I think in New York, I mean, first of all, these people don't exist, but if you do ask somebody who is in the building, you know, where's Grand Central, and it's right in front of the building, you say, well, are you stupid? <laughs> anyway, you get the point, right? But the point I'm trying to make here is that, again, you know, if you look at it from a corporate perspective, is there room for efficiency increases? The answer is absolutely. Is there room for these young women to have better careers, right, and actually using their own experiences, you know, more effectively, I think the answer is absolutely yes. Very quickly, what are we to think about this man? ABE, asset bubble economy. ABE, asset bubble economy. I mean, it's quite interesting, right? And you can have a lot of debate about that. I don't want to go on about it. I think the most interesting thing is that the changes that happened on Sunday with Governor Koike, right? Japan, basically, over the last four years, has not had an opposition, which, you know, had its good elements, but also structurally has its bad element, because the LDP, because Prime Minister Abe, because Kambocho Kansuga-san, have become a little arrogant. And so countering that arrogance with you know, Tokyo, with the governor of Tokyo beginning to build a credible force that is pro-deregulation, that is pro-structural reform, that is focused on entrepreneurship and pro-business, I think is actually going to be a very, very good thing. In economic terms, you know, one thing, there is something unholy going on. I mean, I'm, you understand why I'm bullish on the whole thing, right? The one worry, the one problem I have is this. We've got this Bank of Japan buying up government debt. So you've got the Treasury issuing 40 trillion of debt, and you've got the central bank, which is part of the government, buying 80 trillion yen. So money is free. So that's easy. And you see that basically now, you already have the Bank of Japan owning the majority of government debt. How stable can this be? It's interesting. Actually, it is not just the Bank of Japan that has been buying debt, but it has also been foreigners. The idea was always, and I'm sorry to talk like an economist, 
The idea was always if my debt is issued and held only by my people, everything is fine. I cannot become Greece, right? Foreigners cannot flee like they do in Argentina, like they do in Greece. The interesting thing is that Japan has actually become more dependent. Now, if I exclude the debt held by the Bank of Japan, which is off the market, already foreigners own about 25% of all of government debt. What does that mean? And this is very important. Be bullish Japan's economy. Be bullish Tokyo residential real estate. Because the demand is there, the demand is growing. But if you are a dollar investor, hedge your currency. Something is going to give. And what we give is in the next global economic downturn, foreigners will sell their government debt and the yen will start to weaken quite dramatically. In fact, if you want to be a bit more specific, this increase here is predominantly the Chinese government. Right? The Chinese government, for whatever reasons, doesn't want to buy US treasuries anymore, so now they buy government debt in Japan. Right? That's nice. But if and when there is a financial problem in the People's Republic of China, these reserves will be sold, and the yen is going to be a very, very weak currency. So that, I think, you know, is something that's very, very important to actually keep your mind on. So that's sort of what I wanted to say. I think you get the picture. You know, don't be fooled by this superficial argument that the demographics is negative, therefore there is no demand. Quite the contrary, over the next five to 10 years, this demographic sweet spot will generate positive demand for residential property in the Japanese system in general, but most importantly, in the Tokyo metropolitan area. This is being reinforced by the growing likelihood that the metropolitan go government of Tokyo will reaccelerate the reform and deregulation drive, which is again going to make Tokyo a more attractive place for entrepreneurship to actually come to this. So be bullish. Thank you. Thank you.